Are you ready to take your mindset to an even higher level on and off the mat? Then you're ready for the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, where business owners and aspiring entrepreneurs open their minds to new ideas and concepts that will help you during your entrepreneurial journey and during your consistent pursuit of becoming the best version of yourself personally and professionally. It's time to go beyond the mat with the host of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, Gustavo Dantas. Welcome to episode 65. I'm your host, Gustavo Dantas, and today we have Yasi Pujols. Yasi is a purple belt in jiu-jitsu, and she has a PhD in clinical psychology from the University of Texas in Austin. Yasi works with BJJ athletes to overcome anxiety and performance nerves. We talk a little bit more about jiu-jitsu than usual. She shared her competition experience in dealing with performance anxiety. She also talked about the importance of aspiring or experienced entrepreneurs to understand why they do what they do. My takeaway came right at the beginning of the interview when I asked, how do you feel jiu-jitsu relates to life? And her answer inspired me to title this episode, Developing Your Mental Fortitude. Stick around for my final thoughts after the interview when I share with you three essential elements to develop your mental fortitude. Stay tuned right after Jiu-Jitsu Tribe's message. Oos. The BJJ Mental Coach Podcast is a proud supporter of the nonprofit organization Jiu-Jitsu Tribe, formerly Live Jiu-Jitsu. Jiu-Jitsu Tribe supports social projects who offer free Jiu-Jitsu classes to unprivileged children and young adults in impoverished communities, inspiring, impacting, and improving their lives, keeping them away from drugs and crime, creating hope, and creating champions on and off the mats. Your donation helps projects to pay for their monthly expenses and facility makeovers. As a supporter, the BJJ Mental Coach donate all the profit of all online courses and merchandise to Jiu-Jitsu Tribe. For more information, please visit www.jujitsutribe.org. Let me introduce you to today's guest, Dr. Yasi Pujols. Yasi is a purple belt under Pablo Silva, and she won a gold medal at the 2019 European Championship in the Masters Division at Purple Belt. She has a PhD in clinical psychology from the University of Texas in Austin. Yasi works with BJJ athletes to overcome anxiety and performance nerves. Yasi is the author of the Yasi Fit Guidebook, Hopeful-Based Meal Planning for the Conscientious Athlete. She's also an ambassador for the Girls in Geese, an organization dedicated to building and strengthening the BJJ community for females as a whole. She hosts the BJJ Psychologist Podcast, a show geared towards the intersect of psychology and jiu-jitsu. Yasi, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm very happy to be here. Yeah, so this is episode 65, and that is the second guest, second female guest. <laughs> so I have a lot of guys who had Aaron Hurley was in uh, what was 25, I believe. So that's cool. So tell us how jiu-jitsu show up in your life. Did you, have any, did you have any martial arts experience, any previous experience? I would say very minimally. Um, Prior to entering the world of Brazilian combat sports, I did, I tried Kung Fu for a few months, didn't like it. And then uh, I started with a dance group in Austin, Texas. So it was a 
a samba dancer for five years and I would always see the the capoeiristas they would perform with us I'm like man I want to do something barefoot because these heels are hurting my feet and that just looks a lot more fun um, eventually I joined uh, Capoeira and I did that for two years um, performing with the dancers I was no longer a dancer but um, just really enjoyed uh, the movement and the and Capoeira has a lot of um, songs and singing and uh, really rich in culture but then I moved I graduated with a PhD and I moved away from my Capoeira school and all that was in the area was Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu so I decided you know I know some of uh, the Capoeiristas cross-trained and just decided to jump in and haven't looked back since <laughs> and, and how and long that was, how long was that Yes, fall of 2013 is when I started jujitsu. Right on. So, how do you feel jujitsu relate to life in this uh, journey right now, from 2013 to 19? Right now. Well, when you say from 2013 to 2019, it seems like such a long time now, but I really think it's flown by. Wow. Um, so, how does jujitsu help me in the day-to-day -day life? I think. What it teaches you most is mental fortitude. Um, I got I got heel kicked in my ear accidentally today, and yesterday a teammate got clobbered in the eye socket, and Ooh. we are hurting. We we have a little bit of headache, and anyone else not training this sport would probably go to the ER. <laughs> And we, are, we just have such a high threshold for pain and suffering that when, when life crises happen, we just roll with it and are able to get through um, and not have that mental breakdown um, because we're pushed to that extent on the mats day in, day out. Yeah. I just remember that when I started training, I started training, I was 14 and probably first time I have my arm popped um, I told my mom like I hurt my arm she's like okay we need to go to a clinic or something and then the doctor went there and he's like okay yeah just take ibuprofen put ice rest and okay got it and then months went by or whatever and then it happened again so I said the same thing went to the doctor by the third time I never went back to the doctor but then I'm like okay I already know what he's gonna say he's gonna tell him to stop training I'm not gonna stop training Put eyes, this and that. I'm like, okay, got it. So I started to only go to the doctor when I really, really need. You know what I mean? So that's a, uh, that's, that is a really good point. So when did you have the spark to start pursuing psychology? And then we get into a little bit more into jujitsu. But when was the moment that you decided, you know what, I really want to uh, work in this area? Well, looking back, I think as you're going through the process, you don't really realize what is drawing you to a certain field of study and high school into um, undergrad where I got a bachelor's I really didn't have much of an idea but I, I knew I always wanted to own my own business and I was very entrepreneurial from when I was young you know my grade school friends and I would make um, holiday cards by hand and then we would walk around the neighborhood trying to sell these cards mm -hmm. <laughs> it was always okay what am I gonna do to make 
my own money. I didn't want to work for someone else. And I think from there, I tried many things. Uh, when I graduated, I was a bookkeeper. I had my own bookkeeping business. But then, man, it started growing. And I was in my early 20s. I didn't know how to hire a person. I had no idea. I just knew how to do the work. But running the business um, in terms of marketing and um, I, I could run books and taxes and everything, but just advertising, marketing, um, figuring out how to hire someone to help me because I was at that point of getting too many clients. I just, I just decided to back out of that. I'm like, I'm not ready for this. This is too much, even though I was having success. Um, for me, it was word of mouth. So one client would refer another client who would refer another client. And I think that was safe growth. It wasn't too drastic. Uh, so kind of what pulled me in was when I decided to go work for someone else. Um, I took that bookkeeping skill and um, worked for a company that needed the books um, taken care of, a, a smaller local company, proper, proper blah property management company and so from there I just kind of hung out <laughs> to the books and it was really easy and um, my boss had this huge bookcase full of books and I, oh, I always have loved reading and I just started reading these business psychology books <laughs> so I'm like oh what is this thing that I that I'm really soaking up it's about the mind and thinking and and using your mind to kind of manifest money, uh, to think creatively, to think outside the box in terms of business. And that's when I thought, man, I really need to go back to school and study this. This is very fascinating. And I, I just started taking classes from there on. Nice. And when was the moment? So we started doing your practice and, and everything. So how was starting that, going to that field? You know, how was dealing with some of the uncertainties that, of course, come with starting something new? So how did you deal with it? So for me, anytime I started a new project or start a, this, a new business, I'm risk adverse. I don't want to go all in. That's not my nature. I like to go slowly and build it up. So for me, I worked during the day. And then uh, for anything I'm doing, um, for example, this latest Yossi Fit um, diet, uh, mindset coaching, that was just part time at first while I get my feet wet and figuring out, okay, what direction is this going? What do, what do I need to do next? What are my clients needing next? And just let it grow organically and slowly. Um, I've, I've been in a situation where, you know, I'm like, okay, all in. And then it just implodes because it wasn't well thought out or I didn't kind of think of all the aspects right in the matter of six months. So for me, slow paced, organic growth of a business is better. I think you kind of troubleshoot along the way without risking too much money on the line or time investment. Um, slow and steady has won my race. 
So why did you pick uh, also working with uh, jiu-jitsu athletes? I assume because you're a competitor. Do you think that this has, has something to do that you went to compete and then you felt how the mind plays and decided, you know what, I need to investigate this even deeper? Great question. Um, for me, I in graduate school, when I was getting my PhD, I studied performance anxiety. So kind of in a more general context, and um, times when the performance anxiety leads to failed performance and then how to overcome that. Uh, so what I studied in grad school fit perfectly with this, you know, jujitsu athlete experience. So when I started um, kind of using social media more, I'm like, man, this is like a, this is the business card of all jujitsu people. We don't have our own platform. It seems like everyone was using Instagram a few years ago. I'm like, man, I, I need to have my myself on there, and it's free. Um, so I would see other athletes using it in, in various ways, and I'm like, well, I'd, I'll just put my life on there, you know, like what I'm doing jujitsu-wise and diet-wise. And it was at a time when I, I was trying to weight cut like the guys. <laughs> Like, you know, I, I can't drop five pounds in 12 hours like a man can. And so it was risking my myself um, getting injured and then just feeling horrible. I'm like, you know what? I really need to step back and figure out what are the dynamics happening for a woman in the competition realm. And so I did some research and started putting some of these things into practice, like appropriate weight cutting which is, it happens for us, you know, sometimes months ahead, six to eight weeks ahead. We can't do drastic weight cuts without our hormones getting all out of whack. So I started documenting what I've been, what I was eating and my progress, my weight. And then people just started noticing and asking questions. They would send me messages with, oh, what do you think about this? Or I'm in this situation. And it was really from hearing the, the community, like, oh, you need help too? Okay, well, I don't have any products. <laughs> I don't sell anything. I could just talk to you and, and help you through it. And from there, that's when it started growing. And it was more in nutrition and diet and trying to change your mindset about the food you were eating. Okay. So looking at food as fuel for training rather than as a reward for or or as a sympathy <laughs> so disconnecting it from negative uh perspective and like looking at the food as you know i'm i'm a competitive vessel and you need to fuel it properly like i'm a a high performance sports car and i need to yeah. fuel with a <laughs> high octane gas <laughs> so that's when the that's my first kind of arm of the of my program started was with food and then from there um, I started working kind of more on the psychology of competition I had changed schools and I was really trying to figure out how to be more aggressive on the mat I was just so nice mm -hmm. so in my journey I would post and document and show what I was doing what I was trying and then guess what it started working 
And then people were like, hey, I, I want to know what you're doing. Tell me how you can help me. I know you're a psychologist. And I was already practicing at this point. I had graduated um, that year, actually, or 2013. And then I started this more so in 2017 when I had switched schools and started competing a lot more. I was in a more competitive environment and needing to catch up. Because by that time, it had been a few years of training jujitsu. So through putting my own journey up on the internet that's when others started asking and and wanting help so there was a need there mm -hmm. um two things one yeah regarding to the food i was talking with some sometimes i do some fundamentals competition class which uh for the white belts i go in color belts come too but mainly it's not like it's hard training or anything it's um, some more specific training, but at the same time, introducing rules and regulations and normal things to uh, that when you start getting experience, it's just a, like, wow, that's common sense. But of course, uh, when you're a brand new white belt, you don't know anything. So I kind of like talking with them about it. And I mentioned about choosing their weight class. They're like, hey, I'm in the middle right here. Should I lose it? Like, man, this is your first tournament. The last thing I want right now, you focus on you know, trying to, uh, to lose weight, you're right in the middle, just, just, try, just to the tournament after you let me know how you felt, if you like, were people a lot stronger than you, how do you feel? And I said, mainly, as far as IBJJF format goes, you step on the scale, and then you compete. And I said, make weight, it's not sometimes the problem. The problem is you got to make weight and perform right after. <laughs> so, <laughs> Like you said, you know, it may have a Ferrari, but there's no gas in the bad boy. He ain't driving it. And mm -hmm. it's going to be, and it's frustrating. I, I have experienced, I feel that probably a lot of people who are listening have experienced a tournament that you didn't manage well or breakfast or didn't, your weight was very mm -hmm. close and your legs are not responding normally the way you do and it's very frustrating you want to push off and it's not there so one of the things that i mentioned to them that i'm extra paranoid is my diet when it gets closed because mm -hmm. the day of i like one thing that i do i like to do a, a a simulation the day before i like to wake up on friday the same time i'm going to wake up on saturday i like to eat the same breakfast that i'm going to eat on saturday so basically the it depends what time you're going to compete of course, but I try to have like this a similar day because I don't want to go in with the chance of being starving and completely dehydrated. So I kind of like do that before. Suff I prefer to suffer a little bit more during the week than the night before. And I don't to go in completely dehydrated. Some people do it. I don't know how they do it, but it, it's hard. It's hard to perform uh, that way. Now, as far as the mental side go, when when was your first jiu-jitsu tournament? And when was the first one? And how did you feel mentally going into the tournament? <sighs> Do we have to go there? Because <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, where you got all the like, oh, okay, that's why we need to watch this up closer. Um, my my first, 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 first tournament at yeah, White Belt. Yeah. Well, um, again, the school that I started at wasn't really competitively focused, uh, but I was told by the, the higher belts, they're like, you know, you should just try it at least once. 
And the, the first local tournament came around. I'm like, you know, I'm just going to watch. I'm not going to sign up. Uh, but then my coach said, hey, I need someone to fill this bracket. Uh, would you mind putting on your gi? It was the day of. <laughs> uh, would you mind putting your gi on and just fighting her? It's, it'll be okay. <laughs> and I was thinking like, okay, how much does she weigh? <laughs> uh, she had like a good 30 pounds on me. And the funny thing is, is I've fought her two more times since then, mm-hmm. <laughs> or at least one more. Um, and yeah, I just, I, I didn't know what to expect. So I just kind of went for it. I'm like, okay, this is just like class. And yeah, no, she, she dragged me down and arm barred me <laughs> so fast. <laughs> I had nothing. I, I didn't it just felt like a freight train coming at me. I wasn't ready for that level of intensity. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I felt, okay, now I know what that's about. And like you said, just with new competitors, just, just go and try and see how it goes and then come back to the drawing board. If you don't have a baseline, it's hard to really prepare. Yes, for sure. So, so yeah. The difference for the second one going into the second one because <laughs> now you had an idea and now you're yes. preparing for a tournament. So yes. how was the, the mental process? I for a white belt, I just thought, you know, I just have to keep competing. And I would tell myself, you know, I'm I'm just a beginner. And so I didn't really put much pressure on myself. Um I just knew that I wanted to keep trying. So eventually over time, I started winning a lot. Um, I figured it out, but I, I would say I was very nervous. Um, and I would just try to distract myself early on. Like, of course, I was a trained psychologist by this time. I'm like, I know my brain is running and I just have to distract myself or ignore those thoughts or just focus on, you know, technique or you know what am I going to do and I was already game planning like figuring out the strategy early on like okay I'm gonna I'm gonna pull guard or I'm gonna wait for them to pull guard like whatever it was I would think of this plan that I would have and I, I would consult with the other uh, teammates to figure out what I should do and they're like oh no you have a good triangle you should do that and my game is very similar to those first few years like I've just developed that and, and kept it going. Uh, although some days I, I feel like I should, you know, change it up or, you know, add a little bit in competition, but it's all about like, okay, what shows up? You can't, you can't say, I'm going to, I'm going to hit this um, drop sale and you go to the tournament and you don't do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So learning how to be more flexible with it. But since early white belt competitive days, it was a struggle. It was a struggle to compete. And I would just, work really hard to kind of not not let myself fall into that hole. <laughs> mm-hmm. So talking about struggle, but a different type of struggle now, as far as entrepreneur, uh, entrepreneurship goes, what do you feel that it's one of your biggest struggles so far and what have you learned from it? Ooh, I would say the hardest part especially because jujitsu is such a small community is asking for money, (laughs) especially when you have a job or you have income coming from other aspects, um, charging people appropriately for the service you're providing is something that 
I find very difficult. And the way I've navigated that, and, and you know, there's different ways. Like if, if I have something to give and you have something I want, we can barter, we can create an exchange of some sort. But when you're kind of broadcasting out to the, the general community, and sometimes I've had even, you know, MMA fighters and, and people from other disciplines that I've worked with, mm -hmm. my recommendation is to make it as automated as possible so it's like okay we're setting up this uh, this appointment i'm going to email you and then you you tuck in the link to, <laughs> and have them figure it out instead of you saying hey pay me <laughs> or negotiating it ahead of time like here the what are you looking for this is what what my rates are like finding a way for you to comfortably ask because at the end of the day as an entrepreneur it's all about the sales Absolutely. you have to make you have to make your income unless you want to have um, a volunteer position <laughs> from here on out but i think that's very important um and one mindset aspect that i really latch on to is these these individuals need the service. They need mindset coaching uh, like you and I provide, and it's worth it. It really is. Like, think about how expensive jujitsu is, you know, registration fee. Do you want to just go in there having all this anxiety and you paid all this money? You know, why not invest a little bit on this, the personal growth aspect of your competition? Yes, amen to that. And <laughs> this is something that I have noticed for a long time. And I always mention sometimes, and, and to be honest, I have done it and I've been doing this for a long time, but I'm saying sometimes I'll be looking for maybe an excuse like, oh no, I need to draw more or I need to do, oh, I need to watch this video or I need to, uh, to do this, I need to do that, I need uh, CrossFit or I need to do, and then when you stop to think about it and it comes really from inside and oftentimes this, the mindset is not allowing you to transfer what you do in the academy to the competition. So I feel that a lot of people still underestimate, you know, I think it's getting better over the years, starting to really get better. Because before when I started doing the BJJ Mental Coach, uh, with, I've been studying personal growth for about about 10 years but like when i started doing that about 2013 you know once in a while there will be someone to make a joke like well back in my day you know there's no such you know this ad we just do this we go hard and man you know if you don't need good for you great <laughs> but there are a lot of people that need and here's the thing that i always mention to you you don't need to have a problem per se to become an even better performer there's a reason why Olympic gold medalists, they have sports psychologists, mental coaches, because they are ready, really good performance. They want to become even better. And that's the word that people don't catch, you know, even better. They're really good, but like, hey, is there anything, anything that's going to help with my focus? And I personally, the reason why I started studying is because I, I struggle. So I had like my ups and downs in my career from having zero confidence, zero at all from just losing way too many tournaments to start winning, peak and feel really good and then moving to the US and then kind of new territory, kind of losing, going everything down again to start building up again. 
And when I started building again, I felt that it was because of the study. I started noticing that, I w- and this is the interesting thing too, is that I started studying not because I was losing, because I was still having results, positive results. I just didn't like how I was feeling. I'm like, ah, I'm, I was feeling the anxiety like too much and before, sometimes during the match, I'm still, you know, like not letting go, risking a little more what I, what I should have. And until one day I had enough and that was uh, 2010 that I said, you know what, I'm going to investigate this. And when Google and started to uh, get more information and did some courses and, and started noticing the difference and start uh, for about two years, just competing and then kind of like trying out everything that I was learning. And then after two years, I started to help some of my students and I started noticing the results and not only the results and one of the things too is not the results just in competition but this is starts reflecting in your personal professional life this is it goes this work goes so beyond just jiu-jitsu and competition next thing you know some of I'm recognizing my negative patterns in jiu-jitsu competitions but there's the same negative patterns that hold me back professionally or personally so that's why I'm a huge fan of jiu-jitsu as a personal development tool. And if you want to amplify the power of the stool tournament, it's a great way to amplify this power of getting to everything you're learning and using it in an under-pressure situation. Um, man, you get to learn a lot about yourself. You know. Mm-hmm. So how do you feel, for example, you compete in Portugal this year, right? Yes, and yeah, Tokyo. So how do you feel going in? Um, Portugal, I would say... It had been a while since I felt the anxiety. This was my first major at Purple Belt. <laughs> I had gotten the Purple Belt in September the, the year before, and it was January. So I had, um, I believe, one local IBJJF tournament under my belt, and then I was launching into this huge um, international event and was kind of there alone and figure out what what I need to do and usually my routine involves like going to the venue acclimating looking around seeing where everything is um, and I did a little bit of research on the the style and the games of the the other ladies I competed against um, and I think in that I know it causes anxiety for some people to look up their opponents. But for me, it's like, okay, one, one less variable. If I'm fighting this person, this person has this tendency. So I'm going to put into play um, this particular aspect of my jujitsu. So um, I think, I think I felt good. I felt good. I'm confident because I had trained so hard the last two months before that, that I felt ready and that's something that I, I know is very important is you don't want to step onto that mat feeling like you haven't done everything you needed to do. And I did that for, for Portugal and, um, you know, I won three matches, no points scored on me. So whatever I played, I was able to execute it well because that's what I had been practicing. You know, perfect practice makes perfect. <laughs> yes. And it's, um, the hard work is the the root of self-confidence because mm-hmm. I mean if you're not put in the work and you really feel super confident that's overconfidence and that in 
oftentimes is is not gonna help you because it's sometimes it's almost being delusional. You know, you're not mm -hmm. putting the work, but you really think that you can do it. In some of the tournaments, uh, especially the major ones, uh, it's just not gonna work. So nothing replaces the hard work. And I always mention this to people: yes, you know, do the it's a package it's a package of a lot of things a combination of you know the technical the strategic the physical the mental you got to be able to put all of them together and usually i say that when we lose a match uh, when you analyze the tournament usually it's related to that if, you, if you're talking about losing a match because we can analyze a match and using all four points of the the technical the strategic the the physical and the mental and when you break that down something happens related to that some people can say like no Gustav, wait a minute there is a fifth one which is i got screwed the ref Robin, like, <laughs> so that's one of the things that in uh things that you can control and yes so the so when you look at it sometimes it could be a technique that are like ah, i messed this i mess this move up or the strategic, sometimes I talk about strategic, it's about choices. It's not even something that you did something wrong. It's just, hey, I, I try to implement the system, this game, but it was not a game plan, a good game plan for this person to shut me down. And then I kept insisting with it. I should have changed during the match and I didn't. So not necessarily is wrong. Maybe you made a wrong choice of sticking with something, you know, sometimes not necessarily you know, wrong moving. Of course, the physical is, it depends because it could be a huge bracket that it kind of got tired. Sometimes could it be you didn't manage your diet well. You may wait and you didn't feel strong or maybe you didn't prepare yourself as well. But this is a area that can really extend. And the mental that you know that you lost yourself. And that is... um I can say, well, at least in my experience this year, I'm completing 30 years of jiu-jitsu. And I can say it in my experience that uh, I feel that is the most frustrating thing when you know that you lost yourself, that you know that that was not me on the mat. And this is one of the most frustrating things for an athlete because if you get caught, you get caught, you know, clap and yeah, good job. You caught me. But when you know that you you didn't perform because you couldn't let go. You couldn't really be your best self. That is very frustrating. And that's the hardest one to, let's say, uh, to navigate through because uh, I think people sometimes expect like a magic pill or something that I'll oh, just do this here and then you're never going to be nervous anymore. <laughs> but like really understand and see that it's a it's an everyday work like from reading books from watching videos from um, getting ideas or even working with someone so um yeah i think people starting starting to uh i think pay more attention to that i had a chance to work with uh, very high level people that uh, people would be surprised would be like man they're these guys are human beings like anyone else you know they have um, fear and anxiety like everyone else some people handle better than others but they ain't different than you nobody you know uh, this is um it's part of the human being you know what i mean um now back to uh we're actually talking more jujitsu than usual 
Um, just because <laughs> I want to try to explore a little bit more of the, the mindset part of it. Um, so back to the entrepreneurship. So one of the things that uh, it's tough for me to say, I mentioned to you before, um, the crowd that listen to the podcast, I know that there's a lot of like the master's competitors. There's a lot of masters that listen, you know, kind of a little bit of the older crowd and entrepreneurs, but there are a lot of entrepreneurs or people in transition that they're working on something that they're not quite happy where they at. They're in transition. They, they wanted to do something else or they're already doing both. They already going through the transition, having the regular job and, um, like a side gig. So what would you recommend for some people who are in this transition when you feel that one of the things that it's holding them back the most is just them, you know, is taking that leap. So usually how do you try to guide entrepreneurs through this, uh, the tough transitions of sometimes let's say, could it be someone that it's already an entrepreneur for years, but and he or she knows that I need to take the sleep to take my business to another level. But again, the mindset comes in, it's always bringing them back. So what can you say to help them? So in a situation like this, where a person is trying to push forward, but then they are kind of blocking themselves or, or stalling out, um, I think it's really important to get clear on the why. Why are you transitioning? What is your goal in that? What are you trying, where are you trying to end up? Not necessarily what's the next step now in this path, but what is the end goal? What does that look like? Is that um, working for yourself because you need more time with your family or you're wanting to do a sport more like jujitsu um, or you want to travel or you want to feel accomplished as a business owner, a successful business owner, like consider why you're doing it. And that's sort of like your rudder on this boat that you're on. And then you can point it towards that. What's what I value and what's important to me is this and having a, being an entrepreneur will get me there. And then from there, you have your, your end goal in sight, you've identified it, you made it, you know, written it out or visualized it. Um, and then the next step, okay, you're, you're, you're having a hard time beginning the process or continuing the process or you're in the process. I usually like to look at, at both sides. Um, so what are the benefits of having your own um, side gig or business or you know being in this entrepreneurial effort maybe with others partnered what are the benefits what are the pros of doing this okay what are the downsides and then listing out what's bad about going in this path you know sometimes it's no health insurance <laughs> yeah. you have to pay your own taxes uh, so there's these certain things that come up that maybe sometimes new entrepreneurs don't really think about or don't really plan for you have to make create your own retirement plan so all in the the grimy details things that aren't very enjoyable to most entrepreneurs they just want to get into the the creating and developing and doing. So if you find out what, what are the negatives, what are the downsides, what are the cons, and then in there somewhere, there's gonna be one or two that are really uh, 
really weighted. They're, they create a strong visceral response. Um, and then that could be a fear-based response or uh, another negative emotion, depending. So you hone in with this list. Okay, what is blocking me? What on this list is really blocking me? What am I afraid of? For example, I've said health insurance. What if I get hurt or sick or you know, one of my family members uh, comes down with something and, it, and this comes back to me. I'm afraid to go make my side gig a full-time gig for this fear. Okay, me as the, the psychologist, uh, mindset coach, guiding this person through, it's like, you can plan for that. If that's the biggest problem, game plan. All right need health insurance, figure out how you can get health insurance as an independent person, independent um, entrepreneurial person, and then take action. So on the number one uh, negative that's bothering you, figure out how to fix it. And then yeah. that's something we could do together. Yeah, no, for sure. And when we talk about this is so important that people forget about that as simple as it is, and it's a great book that it's, I think one of my favorite books that I read maybe maybe in my top 10, uh, is in my top 10, 10 for sure, Simon Sinek, Start With Why. And mm -hmm. it's a great book because when you going in to, to this world of entrepreneurship, it's so important to have the balance of the intrinsic and the extrinsic motivation. You want to have the intrinsic that I really, it's really meaningful. I really want to do this and it's, it's enjoyable for you to do it. Something that probably could even done, you know, do it even if you're like not getting paid for it. Just like, I really like this year. And then of course the extrinsic motivation, which is yeah, the, the financial aspect that you can make a living, pay your bills, doing something that you like. So sometimes when people go all into ex, you know, just the, extrinsic side of really thinking about like going in how much money I'm going to make how much this and that when the tough times come and they will come by the way usually what gives you strength is exactly what you said the why the intrinsic motivation because if it's just the just the outside motivation just the material things just the money at one point be like you know what I'm tired of this I'm done I'm doing something else and uh, and this is part of the why having this balance, this intrinsic motivation, and and that's basically how, uh, with with my end, I just realized that I was lucky enough that I realized that I want. I didn't know what entrepreneurship was, but when I was twelve, I just realized that I don't want people telling me what to do. <laughs> I just, uh, I was just a tough moment growing up in my life. And I just, I just thought, I just don't want people telling me what I can or cannot do. And I want to do something that no one's going to tell me. So like that I, doctor who <laughs> told you you couldn't train. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So when I was six, you know, 16 that I figured out that uh, with jujitsu that I'm like, you know what? I really like this. I'm going to do this for a long time. And then I put together, I saw the teacher teaching class. I'm like, wait a minute. So there's a gig out there that you can teach jujitsu. Train anytime you want and get paid for it. Okay, sign me in. So that's basically uh, jujitsu uh, became my goal to become a teacher. I feel my mom's a teacher, so I feel that I'm a teacher by heart. 
not that uh, nowadays people have different goals of like, yeah, I want to be a world champion. I never had this not necessarily the dream to become a world champion because I started training. I made my decision in in 1991, uh, 92. So there's not even a world championship back then. <laughs> it just started in 1996. I just, I just knew that I wanted to be a teacher and one day have an academy. And so that was my intrinsic motivation of that. Man, I really want to do this. And it, of course, took me a long time until you get to a point that get paid with jujitsu, but it, you know, it paid off and I felt that, and I think over the years, my vision just had, of course, it has evolved and I think it's going to happen with you and all the listeners. You sometimes you have an idea, not that you change it, but the vision is evolving, but still evolving and keeping, keeping in mind the intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. That reminds me of the movie, uh, The Pursuit of Happiness with yes. Will Smith. Man, talk about that. intrinsic motivation yeah. <laughs> that's a w- great way to get inspired yeah it really is now what did you say is a one high performance habit that you have that you practice daily that helps you in your personal or professional life well i someone earlier just mentioned my habit <laughs> they saw me take out this huge planner mm-hmm. i have to write down my schedule and my to-do list and everything because I have so many different aspects of my life going on at the same time. So I'm spinning one plate, spinning another plate, spinning one to back here. And my brain doesn't have enough working memory to, to contain everything. So I really rely on daily writing down everything I have to do so I don't have to rely on myself because I will forget. Yep. <laughs> And to, to be successful, to do as much as um, high-level performers do, you either have to have the discipline to write things down, to write down your schedule, or if you're bad at it, get someone else to help you to do it. So someone somewhere has to be managing uh, your daily activities and the things that you need to get done, especially when working with clients or customers. It's very important to be on time for them as well as on time for yourself. It's stress reducing and also helps kind of map out the longer term. Yes, that's a great one. I have a whiteboard that that's what I take my notes to because uh, any chance I have, I have, I'm here in the office, I'm having a little idea like, ooh, I got to write because uh, I will forget and definitely set it up today. This is, uh, again, sometimes people underestimate uh, how much of a powerful tool that is because is like you said we will forget it's at some point during the day it's like oh you know just at the end of the day then you when you when you hit the bat and then you remember oh yeah i had to do this so super important now what did you say is the best advice you've ever received any area well i would say the the one that comes to mind that i think is really important that is related to mindset and you can apply it to other areas of your life is keep coming back. So I was told that early on in jujitsu, keep coming back to class, regardless of how you feel, what you think you need to be doing or what happened last time or, or how anxious you, you feel. 
for the next class or the next event, just keep coming back. And I think it's also really important as an entrepreneur to keep showing up. Um, it To have a good functional business, it requires you to put in the time. And we're not talking about short turnaround. The very few things will make you instantly successful. It takes time day to day grinding it out and sometimes not seeing anything happening for a long time so it's important to to put in the time keep showing up keep going to class keep doing whatever it is you want to do because it's hours of dedication that's going to get you there i think that's something that you mentioned uh, before you just have to put in the time and keep showing up even though your mind is not wanting to yeah now, what advice would you give to your younger version? Let's say not that you want anything different in your life because you are where you at because of the choices that you made. However, if you had a conversation, let's say as soon as you start to get involved a little bit more with the entrepreneurial side, especially with the psychology, which is not, um, what do you say, how long ago would it be right now? Uh, going to this area of more after you're done with the, with school, so fairly recent in the past few years, right? Mm -hmm. yes. So if you have, because of course you, you grew a lot, and even though it's just a few years, you grew and experienced things that you're like, oh yeah, you know, I wish I, I knew that. So what would you say to the younger Yassi saying like, hey, I came here just to tell you one little thing to watch what that would be? <laughs> For, for myself, I would definitely say, don't worry about the opinions of others. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, they're not even paying attention. <laughs> so care less about what, what other people think and do whatever it is you want to do. I think I limited myself quite a bit early on, especially trying to put myself out there as an entrepreneur. I think it's very hard. Like, who's going to look at this product or service? Um, you know, why am I doing this? There's a billion other ones like this. And why me? And, and I think it's just a matter of getting out there because you have your own spin. You are an individual. You are a snowflake in the sea of all different kinds of snowflakes and it's important to hear to have your voice heard and that requires not caring what other people think yes uh, one thing that i like to mention to students or competitors when sometimes i like to have them maybe prior to a tournament just kind of get them together and i do like a little questionnaire and people just kind of say like have you felt like this before yes or no and some some of the questions you know and then have people to just kind of share some of the experiences and, uh, and we talk about it and and one of the things i like to them uh, i always say like okay i'm sorry to break down the the news but people don't think about you as much as you think they do <laughs> okay like sorry yeah. to spoil the party but you lose in a tournament do you think people are going to be at work oh my god she lost the tournament how could she you know you lost like oh that's too bad anyway let me get back with my life here. Like people are not thinking of, you know, of whatever business or whatever that is, you know? So I think people really get caught into that. And I, I, of course I'm, I'm guilty of that too. And just caring too much about what, what people think. And there's one, a great book too, the, the sort of art on not giving an F, which is a, 
it's mm-hmm. a good one to really um, yes. think about that and be like, hey, man, I'm just doing my thing here. And uh, I totally get it. And when I start putting in videos and I put especially uh, had a really good series in, in Portuguese, had really good um, positive feedback. But yeah, of course, you're going to have the haters. People are going to be saying this like, that's a bunch of crap. Da, 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 da. It's not for them. That's okay. So just kind of, especially for you, the listener who is, you, you, you feel that you need to put yourself out there more, but you're not doing because of that, because you worry about what others thinking. That's no bueno. I remember when I was talking with a student too, that was a, a back then, I think he was a brown belt and now he's a black, but back then he was a brown belt. And we're talking about sponsors. So that's something that I did really well when I was younger. I kind of, uh, my brother was a good mentor for me. And so I, I did really well with sponsors. So I always had proposals and very, a very professional approach. So I ended up having always good sponsors. So I talked with them and that was back even when it didn't have internet. So I said, man, now with the internet, you can be a lot more aggressive, like with things you can do. I said, I think you should you should put a, a Facebook athlete page for your word. Just post your tournament stuff, you know, uh, and like, yeah, but you know, Brown Bell, people are going to be thinking like, yeah, I'm full of myself. Like, dude, are they paying your bills? You know what I mean? Like, are they paying your registration? <laughs> like, who cares? You know what I mean? Like, if you want to create a logo with your name, who cares? You know, that's, that's your deal, you know? And if someone wants to hate on it, like, that's their opinion. So if any of the listeners who are maybe experienced entrepreneurs or not, if you feel that you need to put yourself out there, you got to do it. Like you mentioned about doing the Instagram, putting the little things, you know, it, it's, it's part of it. If you, if you want to really get the word out and, and especially if you do have something good to say, you have like something powerful to say, you have maybe a message you want to post or you want to say something uh, do it, but just don't take everything personal. People will, uh, they probably gonna, we're always going to have the haters. So that's a good, a good thing from the, the book, the four agreements saying, you know, don't take things personally mm-hmm. and that's it. Don't take things personally and put yourself out there. I wanted to highlight something you said that was mm-hmm. really good. Um, if you're, nervous to launch out and put yourself out there whether business or in jiu-jitsu as an athlete or a spokesperson for for something um, you had your brother as a mentor Mm-hmm. get a mentor in whatever it is yes. that you want to do and that person can encourage you and can help you combat those negative thoughts of, of worried about what other people think because the mentor usually has been there done that and we have mentors our coaches our professors in our gyms and why not for these other aspects um i i am a part of a a, like an accountability meeting uh where the three of us kind of talk about business and we bounce ideas off of each other like oh does this sound dumb they're like no no it sounds really good (laughs) so if we ourselves are overly critical, we can use a mentor or a peer or colleague to help uh, make it a little bit smoother and build our confidence to go do what we're trying to do. I, I think that sometimes people don't get a mentor 
And sometimes I feel that it's a mindset thing that if maybe it's a mentor that involves paying someone, so they feel that like, I don't really want to spend. I always say, don't, you're not spending money, you're investing your money. There's nothing more, uh, Tim Ferriss, uh, I heard him saying that, there's nothing more profitable than knowledge. What are you going to get? No one's going to take that from you. And having the experience of having a mentor, I've been working with a public speaking mentor since 2012. And now we're not, uh, um, I don't have as much, you know, like sessions and stuff, but I help him in public speaking events and so forth. And I mean, the experience that I got, I had to make my initial investment for sure. And for the first couple of years, and then he recognized like how committed I was. He started to invite me to go to the, to the events with him and uh, became my mentor just kind of like organically, you know, from just a service and it, the relationship really developed. And I think people sometimes, uh, if you can get someone that is willing to give you the time, great, but don't expect people get paid their time you know but maybe someone that whatever area you're trying to improve having someone to make that investment in and here's the thing too sometimes we maybe invest in some type of coach or maybe it's the same in business you invest in a marketing company that did not do well for you and it'd be like oh no marketing doesn't work like no that company didn't work but it doesn't mean that you you should try someone else or maybe a coach, you try to coach you something didn't work, no problem, try it with someone else. And I think sometimes people just don't want to kind of like, especially if there's money involved, man, I really don't care much about buying stuff for me. I really don't. Uh, I don't, the things that I like to spend money with me, I think sometimes food and, <laughs> and knowledge. You know, I'm just, I'm just, uh, I don't know, just so hooked and addicted to like, or books, or audio books, or retreats, or or seminars. I just I just love to go to place, and I um, I can get some more knowledge, and of course, do my best to execute. So that's one of the things too. If you're getting a mentor, if you're going, if you're reading books, you go into seminars or whatever, do the best you can to execute what you're learning. So otherwise, it's just going to be a bunch of knowledge just sitting in your head. So what did you say is a, a book that has made you a big impact in your life? I know that sometimes some books come in different moments, mm-hmm. um, cause different you know, impact in your life, but it's something that comes in your mind about a book. Well, like I mentioned how I got into psychology um, and thinking about a doctorate degree, you know, that's the highest level degree you can get. And I was thinking like, with that, I could probably make the most money I can probably make with that credential. And the the book that kind of led me to that path, because I wanted financial independence as a 20-year-old, and that was something that was really fascinating to me, and I really wasn't sure how to get there. And the book that I read that I continue to reread um, is a money mindset book called Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Mm -hmm. And it was written in the 20s a long time ago. But reading that book and the, the, the way you can 
the, the main character in the book, the way you see him begin changing his mindset about money and making money and selling um, and promoting himself. It's, it's like so easy. You can put yourself in, in his shoes and walk along that, that mindset shift with him. And I think it's been really remarkable. I feel like now I, I finally cashed in on that moment. Like, okay, I'm working for myself. I own my own business. It has a couple different aspects to it, obviously. Uh, but I, it's, if you, if you, shift your mindset and not worry about the ins and outs of how it's going to happen and what exactly you're going to do. But you kind of like, again, set your rudder towards that end goal of being independent and not having to answer to anyone, <laughs> being your own boss. It'll happen. And you just have to have a whole bunch of faith and a lot of dedication, time, dedication, and then learning how to get there. Yes. And that book really did it. It is. It is a great book, by the way. So we're getting close to the end of the interview. So for people who are listening for the first time after the interview, uh, when I'm editing, I reflect on what was said and then I create an audio from five to 12 minutes with the intention, which is the mission of the podcast, which is aligned with the mission of my life, which is to inspire, impact and improve the lives of others. So everything I do in, in business, every business venture that I do. It's everything related to that. If it's not, I don't mess with it. So it's sometimes I mentioned that just to create a five to seven minute audio can take me a few days just because I put a lot of work and I want to make sure that if I'm putting an audio out there, if there's one day that I have nothing to say, like, guys, I had nothing. I really didn't have anything to say. So I don't just say, you know, uh, a bunch of nothing. So I always, uh, I have even read books to make a seven minute audio. So I, I want to make sure that it's always a content to impact, you know, in people's lives. Mm -hmm. So what are you currently excited about? What's going on? We're in basically uh, August of 2019. So what do you got going on? Right now, um, the the most significant thing that I'm focused on is uh, the 2019 Master Worlds Championship at the end of August. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and for me, it means the end of the season and entering into a period of rest. You know, competing year round is something that's very, very strenuous and it, you can have some burnout. Um, so I'm looking uh, to spending September and October just relaxing, getting out of that competitive mindset and getting into more of a relaxed, uh, socializing mindset with a little bit more flexibility with food um, and just be able to decompress. Um, I think it's been a good season. I'm ending on a good note regardless of what happens at Masterworlds. Uh, but yeah, these next four weeks are going to be grinding it out to show up in, in Las Vegas. Yeah. So tell me more about your podcast. Okay. So I, 
this, this comes out of having to put out content that people were requesting over and over again. And instead of having, you know, individual conversations, I thought maybe I can have like a library of topics that come up. And um, I, I did some research of, okay, what, what is a, an appropriate amount of time when you're just by yourself? Interviewing a guest is different than just talking. And, and I have some uh, guests lined up here in the fall during the decompression time, mm -hmm. uh, but it's, it's five to 10 minutes of just a, a quick burst of a topic, or it's recapping um, an event that I went to. Uh, for example, I went to New York City and I trained at the Meow, with the, not with the Meow Brothers, they were there, but I trained at Unity Jiu-Jitsu. And I love kind of exploring um, and learning from other um, academies across the, the US. And so I talk about that, talk about my own experiences after competition. So it's just kind of a mixed bag. Um, and then obviously talking about mindset, but just a short a snippet of something to think about to reflect on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting with the thing of the time for podcasts or videos. I think this is so relative because it's really preference because you may have people like Joe Rogan that can be for like two and a half hours and mm -hmm. where the fans and like that kind of long format, they will listen to, you know, and there's people that it can be one hour talking by themselves for an hour. If they click with the content and they're doing a good job, people will listen. There's some people that don't like the long format. They won't. They, you know, I used to do my videos, especially uh, uh, as some in English, some Portuguese. My Portuguese ones were like sometimes from like 8 to 20. And I'll say like, I never know how long it's going to be. Sometimes it could be 5, sometimes it could be 12. It's just whatever it takes to, to share this message. If that was in 7, good. If it was in 15, it was 15. Mm -hmm. I just kind of always did necessary some people that just want to like no just give me like five minutes like maybe the video is not for you you know it's <laughs> yeah. kind of clicking finding finding the right crowd and if you feel that you're getting your point across with that you know the time is so you know who likes it who really connects with a yeah. uh with a podcast with a message they will they will listen to you know uh, the, this one it depends it can vary from i had from 45 minutes to an hour and a half so again, it, it depends uh, each one. But well, how can people know more about your work? Uh, whatever you want to say, if it's a website or Instagram, the name of your podcast. So welcome to plug it. Okay, I am usually posting daily stories on Instagram, and that's at dr.yasi underscore fit, and you can feel free to message me there or email at dryasifit at gmail.com, and the website is also similar, uh, dryasifit.com altogether. And yes, I'm very active on social media. Um, I like to kind of document my day-to-day -day, since there's always something going on. I'm always heading to some gym um, and working as well um, and 
preparing food is <laughs> a lot of showing people what I'm eating because I do want to practice what I preach. So if I'm telling someone, try eating in this style, I want to show that I'm also doing those things. I, I want to be an example um, and, and give inspiration. Although I do have a little bit of fun. I love eating donuts. So after my reward, after competing or uh, doing a strong camp is eating something fun like that. <laughs> awesome. So Yassi, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. All right. And for all the listeners, stick around for my final thoughts. Ooze. Let me share with you my final thoughts from the interview with Dr. Yassi Pujols. If you're listening just to the final thoughts on Instagram TV at Gustavo Dantas BJJ, Yassi is a purple belt under Pablo Silva. She has a PhD in clinical psychology from the University of Texas in Austin. Yassi works with BJJ athletes to overcome anxiety and performance nerves. This episode, we talk a little bit more about jiu-jitsu than usual. She shared her competition experience in dealing with performance anxiety. She also talked about the importance of aspiring or experienced entrepreneurs to understand why they do what they do. My takeaway came right away at the beginning of the interview when I asked, how do you feel jiu-jitsu relates to life? And her answer inspired me to title this episode, Developing Your Mental Fortitude. She mentioned that what jiu-jitsu teaches you the most is mental fortitude, or also called mental toughness. As the famous quote says, when the going gets tough, the tough get going, which means when the situation becomes difficult, the strong we work harder to meet the challenge, and jiu-jitsu practitioners deal with challenging situations in practice daily. Like when your opponent has mounted you, you have to stay calm, not panic, and figure out your way out. Mental fortitude is defined as the ability to focus on and execute solutions when in the face of uncertainty and adversity. For the most part, no one likes to tap or to lose in a tournament, but when you do, you need the mental fortitude to overcome the undesired outcome and to grow from the experience, just like in entrepreneurship. Things do not always happen the way you want. As an entrepreneur, sometimes you're going to tap or lose, which is okay. The most important thing is to have the mental fortitude or emotional resilience to roll with the punches and keep going. I found an article on entrepreneur.com by the psychologist Sherry Campbell on eight essential elements for developing mental fortitude in your personal and professional life. I'm going to share with you my top three. Number one, self-evaluation. She mentioned that mentally tough people are not afraid to look in a mirror consistently and examine where they have room to improve. That means to take responsibility for all your actions or lack of actions, then plan a way to improve and execute the solution. Have you ever competed in jiu-jitsu before? If you did, have you ever blamed the referee? If you haven't competed before, have you ever heard of people blaming the referees? Well, I have blamed referees plenty of times in my life as a competitor and as a coach. I understand that really bad calls and mistakes can happen. However, most of the times when I complain, I was in denial. I wasn't taking full responsibility for my performance. For example, imagine you're playing your favorite guard in a tournament. You're trying all your best moves and your opponent's shutting you down pretty well. Your opponent's trying to pass, but he's not able to capitalize on anything. With two minutes left, 
the score is 0-0. You are in the should I stay or should I go scenario. You think, should I stay here and keep trying this guard until the end? Or should I go and try something else? Then you think, wait, 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 wait. If I go and doesn't work, he might pass. And if he pass, I'm going to lose and I, I don't want to lose. I don't want to disappoint anybody. I better stay here. Very often this happens subconsciously. The match finishes, you lose by decision. Now, you and your team are mad because you feel that you attacked a lot more and you got robbed. Now, whose fault is it? The referee or yours? Yours. You chose to stay. You chose not to go out of your comfort zone. And that happened. You need a self-evaluation because if you ever get caught in this scenario again, what are your best options? What should you try? Take responsibility work on the plan, and execute the idea in class and competition. In a business, often people blame the market or something else, but the answer could be in self-evaluation, going out of your comfort zone and rolling with the punches with mental fortitude. Number two, self-control. And the article she said, quote, if we want to succeed on any level, we cannot be weak to our more reactive emotions. Mental fortitude is based in skills of emotional intelligence. We must use mindfulness as a way to harness the emotions that control how well we perform. We must learn how to manage the degree to which we are always on the edge of losing our mental fortitude to emotions such as fear, anger, frustration, or even excitement. When you are effective in managing our emotions, we better prepare ourselves to function at our peak performance levels." Unquote. Very well said, especially after an undesired outcome in a tournament or business. Your emotional resilience must be on point. Easy and said, but the best way to cultivate the habit of self-control is to be self-aware. Think about what you think about. Pay attention to the stories that you tell in yourself after an undesired outcome happens. As Sherry said, mental fortitude is based on skills of emotional intelligence. The first two of the four crucial pillars of emotional intelligence are self-awareness and self-regulation. Self-awareness to catch what you're thinking about and the self-regulations to self-manage your own thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. The third and last one is mental training. As Sherry said, quote, the mind operates like any other fit muscle or unworked lazy muscle in the body. The more we use our mind, we stretch and challenge it, the stronger it gets, unquote. Develop a mental workout routine. If you have one, great. Maybe do a self-evaluation to see how you can become even more efficient with your routine. If you don't, start to start. Even if it's five minutes a day, it's better than nothing. If you practice with consistency, you might be surprised by the results. I'm going to share with you my morning mental routine that I've been developing for quite some time now. As soon as I wake up, I go to my office at home and I do 20 to 30 minutes of stretching while listening to an audiobook or any content that is going to help with my personal growth in some way. When I finish, I have breakfast, read a book for 30 minutes, followed by a meditation session that can vary between 10 to 20 minutes. Right before I start my day, I reflect on these questions. What is my mission today? What must I accomplish today to progress my life? I schedule my day, reflect on my values, and I'm good to go. What about you? How is your mental fortitude level towards your business and your life? 
Have you been practicing brutally honest self-evaluations? How is your level of self-control? How is your mental training? Remember, the mind operates like any other fit muscle or unworked lazy muscle in the body. The more we use our mind, we stretch it and challenge, the stronger it gets. Keep raising your levels of mental fortitude, mental toughness, emotional resilience, whatever you want to call Keep developing your ability to focus on and execute solutions when in the face of uncertainty or adversity. Oh, We're glad you were able to join us for this episode of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast. But the lesson doesn't end here. Watch the videos and download the audio of the 10 mental mistakes BJJ competitors make and how to avoid them for free when you subscribe to the BJJMentalCoach.com. Don't miss the chance to find out what might be holding you back from being your best self on and off the mat. That's the BJJMentalCoach.com.